Hello Gems, welcome to another episode of TRs in Tech. I'm your host, Shelly Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Cameron Hardesty, and she is the founder of Poppy Flowers. Poppy is a great website where you can get locally sourced flowers directly from farms, which will save you a ton of money on the cost of flowers for events. We talked about her journey in tech, how she worked at the White House, which was incredibly interesting to me, and her advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. Without further ado, on to the episode. Hi, Cameron. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Shelley. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I am excited to talk about everything that you do because you're amazing. But let's uh, start out by jumping right in and having you tell us your tech story. Awesome. Well, so I got started in tech in about 2015. Um in the private sector, actually, earlier than that in government. Um, I was working in the White House Drug Policy Office starting in 2012 um, during the Obama administration, managing our digital strategy. And after about three and a half years there, I went to go work for a tech startup in the floral industry called Urban Stems. I was the head of merchandising there for about three and a half years before I left and started my own company, Poppy. That's awesome. Yeah. I am very impressed that you worked at the White House. I have a whole like section <laughs> I wanted to devote to that because I have never, ever talked to anybody that worked at the White House. What was that like? Um, it was really cool. So our office was as far away from the West Wing as you could get and still in the executive office of the president. Um, but we got to do a lot of stuff with the West Wing and host meetings and, and events and guests. And um, it was really cool. I traveled quite a bit with the director of our office who had um, U.S. Marshal Protective Service. And so whenever we traveled anywhere, it was in like a bullet proof black suburban um, that you had to climb in and out of. And when we went to the airport, we got to go through like a special line in TSA. Those were the main privileges. But um, sometimes if you didn't keep up with them, they would leave you behind. Like if they really would just leave you because they were there to protect the director and that was it. So one time we were Remember we were in the governor's mansion in West Virginia. This is when Joe Manchin was the governor of West Virginia. And I really had to go to the bathroom because we'd been like out and about all day. And yeah. when I, it wasn't in the bathroom for long, but like when I got out, like no one was there. <laughs> I had to like sprint and everyone was like walking out the door, getting into the black suburban. So I almost got left in the West Virginia governor's mansion. Like, oh my goodness. That's so funny. I, I can't believe you almost got left, but yeah, the, um, Special access at airports is great. Yeah. I um, had this crazy job where I was traveling, you know, internationally like twice a month. And I always tell people TSA pre plus clear plus um, what is it? Global entry. Right. Yeah. Global entry. Like have those three. I was, I was in line and, you know, they lead you and and put you in front of a whole bunch of people that have been standing there for a long time. So some kid behind me turned to his mom and was like, mommy, is she famous? And I turned around and I said to him, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. But yeah, that's really, really cool. So, um, 
like, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> what was your role overall? And in in tech or not in tech? So when I worked in the drug policy office, I was in the on the communications team. Okay. And I oversaw all of our social media and our web assets. So I worked with the Office of Digital Strategy um, that oversaw sort of all the president's digital communications um, to coordinate sort of the communications priorities of my office with the White House overall and with the administration. Um, So that's what I did there. And then when I left that job and went to Urban Stems, I would say, ironically, even though I went to a tech startup, my job was way less technical and I was really working on the supply chain and the merchandise that we sold. So all of the bouquets and arrangements and gifts that we sold were ones that I sourced um, and worked on with my team. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. And now at Poppy, um, I've sort of gone more back to my roots and we're, we've built a tech platform to facilitate the wedding floral sale um, to enable floral designers to make money um, and to sort of like locate the entire transaction on a platform. So sort of blending the tech side of things with the floral industry expertise. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us all about Poppy. Yeah. Um, so we're nationwide. We're well, we're active in about 52 markets in the U.S., Um, We have about 500 floral designers that are in our network who we work with to bring our couple's floral vision to life on their big day at their venue. Um, We launched our website January 2020, which was quite a time to launch an events business. Um, But we were able to pivot that year and sell basically flowers in a box to anyone who wanted them Um, that year. We called it Poppy at Home. And that was great. We got on the Today Show as a result, and we were recruited to tech stars. And then we pivoted back to focusing on weddings. So we've been operating this business model for a little over two years. Um, and we are well into the seven figures of revenue. Um, and we have a team of about 20 people, um, all remote. And We've delivered probably almost 1,500, 2,000 weddings. Wow. In that range. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, this is a really interesting idea overall. And I would expect that you have a lot of competition. And I always tell people, like, whenever you think that you can't start a business because it exists elsewhere and stuff like that, take a stroll down the bread aisle at the grocery store because I mean how many different bread companies are there and it doesn't matter if you have competition like just just do it um but anyway how did you um (laughs) create this idea and then launch it yeah totally so I um I on the competition question, it's interesting because at the same time, we have a lot of competition and there are a lot of floral designers doing wedding flowers. And it's a really fluid market because the barrier to entry is so low. On the other hand, there are no scaled networks of 
floral designers who focus on weddings and events. That doesn't exist other than what we're building. Um, so I'm sure you've heard of 1-800-Flowers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is a network of about 5,000 florists that are brick and mortar flower shops, like old school, kind of on the corner. They'll do an arrangement and deliver it on Mother's Day. That network of florists exists, but no one's ever built a network for wedding floral designers. So on the one hand, we're a totally new business model. On the other hand, from a customer's perspective, they don't really care. They just want the best wedding flowers at the best price they can get. And there is a lot of competition. We're the only place where you can totally do your manage all of your wedding floral sales online. So in that way, we're different. But at the end of the day, what matters is are the flower do the flowers match what the customer wants and can we deliver them the way that we say we can so there is a lot of competition from that perspective so there are ways where we're really different in the market and ways in which customers are just comparing us to traditional florists and that's great um on the floral designer sort of side of the equation we are totally unique because unlike the bigger players in our industry, like 1-800-Flowers, there's another company called FTD. Um, floral designers really love working with Poppy because we take care of all the stuff that burns them out, that they don't like to do, that feels impossible sometimes, like marketing, acquiring customers, even spending on advertising isn't an option for most floral designers. Mm. Um, and then all the accounting and like back office work, customer service, we handle all of that. And all they have to do is design flowers, which is the reason why most people get into this profession in the first place. So we're finding, I would say, pretty remarkable product market fit among floral designers, really experienced ones, and also people who are brand new to the industry. Um, in terms of where I got the idea for Poppy, I was working at Urban Stems as the head of merchandising, and I got engaged. And I this was in 20... I think we got engaged in 2015 or 2016. Um, and, you know, I knew weddings were expensive, but I figured if there's one place where I can save money in this wedding, it's going to be on the flowers because I knew how to buy flowers the least expensive way possible, which is directly from the farms. And so I was like, great, I know floral design. I know where to buy the flowers. I'm going to do this myself. And then once I really sketched out the vision of my florals for my wedding, I realized there's no way I can do this myself. And that's when I started recruiting freelance floral designers to help me. And I ended up with about five floral designers and two big truck pallets of flowers from the farms. And at the end of the day, when all was said and done, I saved probably about $20,000 on my wedding flowers. Like I never would have been able to afford the wedding flowers I had at retail prices. And I thought, dang, like I think that there could be a business model in this. Mm -hmm. um, and at first I tried to, to get Urban Stems to, to do it. And what I realized was like companies like 1-800-Flowers or Urban Stems, um, their business models don't lend themselves to event florals. It's a totally different operation. And so I left and started Poppy. The other thing that inspired me to um, start Poppy was not just, you know, customers looking for more affordable wedding flowers. It was floral designers. So I would go to these floral design workshops because I'm also a floral designer. And the, the workshops would be kind of like half talking about floral design and getting our hands in buckets of flowers and making beautiful stuff. The other half would be really guidance on how to run a floral business. 
And the prevailing theme of these conversations was how do I attract the right clients? Um, How do I manage their expectations? How do I turn a profit? How do I even price my product? I like everyone's just kind of lost. And I was thinking, man, if customers are saying wedding flowers are too expensive and florists are saying, "I, I can't even turn a profit, something is missing. Something's broken about this process. And that's really what got my wheels turning that like there could be a new business model in this industry that was not extractive to floral designers, but actually made their lives better. Yeah, that's amazing. I always tell people, you know, the greatest business ideas are solving a problem that you have. Exactly. That yeah, like it's it's amazing how many people I've had on the show that have um companies that they did exactly that. They had a problem and were like, well, I don't see a solution for that. So I'm just going to make it. Yep. And I love that tenacity. That's why I love talking to, you know, people who are entrepreneurs and have a real passion for, you know, their um, apps or products or, or sites. It's amazing. It's yeah. hard not to fall in love with the floral industry. Like the a little secret about the floral industry is it is so fun. Like mm-hmm. once I've heard people say like, you don't get into the you don't get into the floral industry it gets into you and you can't leave it once you're in because it's really a blast like the it's a small industry the people are lovely you get to travel to really cool places to farms and you're making people's lives better with your product like what's not to like absolutely yeah um like one of the things that a lot of um entrepreneurs really struggle with is money. How do you get this off the ground? Um, How did you raise the money to be able to do all of this? Well, I was lucky because I kind of got a front row seat to um, the fundraising process when I was at Urban Stems. The CEO, Ajay, um, and his team ended up raising about $50 million to fund that business. And I saw the fundraising process sort of from the very beginning to post series A. And um, so I kind of got a sense of what it took and what a pitch deck looked like and really got sort of a hands-on education there. Um, But when I started Poppy, you know, it's different when you're a male CEO and you have four male co-founders versus being a solo founder who's a woman who didn't go to Harvard Business School or any Ivy League school for that matter, or even have an MBA. Um, So I I got started as an entrepreneur in residence with a deep tech R&D firm slash corporate VC in Menlo Park mostly because a friend of mine introduced me to them and just said like, they're looking for EIRs. Um, And so I did that for a while. And that's how I got my first few angel investors. So um, the president of that firm and the head of the VC side of things and another um, venture partner there became my first angel investors. And then one of their co-investors was an angel investor. And I think I ended up raising maybe $100,000 from that experience. And that kind of kickstarted things. So I got um, some friends and family who made some small investments, um, including my parents, which I'm very grateful for. 
And then the next sort of big shot in the arm was an angel investor who has been in the floral industry for 35 years. He works for one of the biggest flower companies in the world, and he's also on our board. And when he wrote his check, that was the biggest single check that I had gotten. And it enabled me to hire my first employee and really get things going. So the first round of fundraising was friends and family angel took about six months. That was summer of 2019 to December 2019, um, and raised about $375,000 that way. Um, the next sort of phase of fundraising, I would say started with tech stars. So we entered tech stars, Atlanta that July, July, 2020. And coming out of that, I raised my first priced equity round, which was led by Idea Fund Partners. They're based in North Carolina, which is where I went to school. Um, and that brought in some other larger investors. And since then, um, I brought in a few other larger investors, including a large strategic in our industry. And combined with folks who had already invested, who have reinvested once, even twice, um, all told, so far, I've raised six and a half million dollars. Holy wow, that is amazing. My my heart leapt out of my chest when you said that number. That is fantastic. Congratulations on all of your achievements. Thank you. I will say, though, I remember, I mean, in the heyday of the 2010s, which was, in retrospect, a pretty big venture capital bubble, I remember seeing that stat when when entrepreneurs would say, I've raised $30 million or I've raised $50 million. I always remember thinking, even when it wasn't cool, you know, 10 years ago, well, but how much revenue is your business doing? Yeah. Like, not even are you profitable? Like, how's the business going? So I always kind of viewed that metric with a bit of skepticism, but I understand now why entrepreneurs lead with it because it's really hard to raise money and it's a big accomplishment, even though it's not necessarily correlated with the success of your business. So I, like, I always think like, yeah, we've raised six and a half million, but once we get to 50 million in revenue, then I'll be proud. <laughs> That's like how my mind goes. No, but still, you should be proud now, Thank honestly. You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, starting your business in January of 2020, how did you survive COVID? Because no weddings were happening um, for quite a while. We, it sounds weird to say it's sort of counterintuitive, but the timing was really lucky for us because I had just raised this money. We had just launched our website. Unlike people who had been in the wedding industry, even for a year, a couple years, we weren't committed to weddings throughout the entire year. Yes, we had to postpone or cancel a few, but the business had just begun. So we didn't have, a, there wasn't a ton of work to do in terms of rescheduling weddings and renegotiating contracts. And none of that was really a, a huge operational concern for us because we had so few weddings booked already. And I knew really well how to sell flowers online because that's what I spent the last three and a half years doing. I saw, I'm pretty close with one of our farm partners, our main supplier in Ecuador. And I saw him throwing away like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of product because this floral supply chain, like every supply chain was breaking down. The wholesalers had to shut down. People couldn't come into work. And 
I saw these flowers being thrown away. It broke my heart. I was like, man, everyone's stuck at home. Like, let's see if we can sell the flowers we would have bought for weddings to people who are at home and sick of making sourdough bread. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> we um, started selling these. We kind of re-merchandised the, the flowers for at-home use. And that's what generated two-thirds of our revenue in 2020. We did do quite a few weddings that year, but they were really small and mostly outdoor backyard weddings. And, um, and yeah, that sort of is what got us through is pivoting quickly. Now, looking back on it, there's like, how did the business perform? And then I would say my mental health and like the health of the business. And I think, I haven't even really processed like, oh my God, how crazy was that? <laughs> like that that's that was our first year in business. And I there have been times where I've looked back and I said, why aren't we further along? Or why didn't we do this product feature sooner? And I realized, man, we lost at least a full year just trying to pivot through this crazy black swan event that happened. Um and it took a while to wind down that pivot. It didn't, we just didn't turn it off overnight because it was generating meaningful revenue for us for a while. And it was kind of hard to see what the future held. So I would say this Valentine's Day and this Mother's Day were the very first big floral holidays where we didn't focus on gifting or retail at all. We didn't do any marketing around it. We haven't put any paid advertising against Poppy at Home for over a year. And it feels really good to be focused on the business model that I knew was an opportunity from the start, but we kind of got sidetracked. Yeah, absolutely. One of the um, topics I teach is uh, SWAT, you know, um, strengths, uh, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You definitely turned that threat into an opportunity, which is what the SWOT analysis helps you do. Um, and that's amazing. I love that. It was that. running on like pure adrenaline. Like I remember when it happened and one of my team members who was working as a volunteer at the time and had worked in public health in the past shared this report that said COVID could last for 18 months. And at the time that seemed incomprehensible. I was like, this is going to be over in a month. What are you talking about? But when I let myself imagine like, whoa, this could go on for 18 months, which of course now we know it did and more. And more. Uh, <laughs> I... I think that's when I was like, we got to do something. We can't just sit around. Like we got to make something happen here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So you are a mother and an entrepreneur. And I always ask anyone that has children, how do you balance being an entrepreneur and a mother at the same time? Because that's two full-time jobs. It is. I have a daughter. Her name is Barbara. She's almost 19 months old. She's so adorable. Um, I think that I have learned to build a support system. Um, and there's truly 100% no way that I could do this without my husband. Um, he has stepped in as primary parent, basically sort of the default parent, um, ever since she weaned from breastfeeding and we spend a lot of time together. So like every day from five to 7 PM, I have blocked on my calendar and that is family time. So that's like, we get to go on a little walk. We have dinner together, do bedtime in the morning. We spend time together. Um, so I don't feel like I'm like missing anything but um 
I think I also grew up with a mom. I did grow up with a mom who has a PhD and worked all through my childhood and beyond. She still works. My dad's like trying to retire. My mom, I don't think ever will. So I think the example that I grew up with was very much like, just because you're a mom doesn't mean that you don't work and having your own thing and your own identity outside of being a mom is a really important, was important to my mom. And I think that's the lesson that I took away. But we also have had amazing childcare. So Barbara has had um, a couple of nannies. We just moved from DC. So we, we had to say goodbye to her first nanny who we just had a reunion with a couple days ago and it was so special, but she had an amazing nanny for the first year of her life. She's an amazing nanny now since we've moved to Charlottesville and she's starting in preschool in the fall. So I think getting really good childcare has been a priority. We've also um, had a housekeeper who's been super helpful. Um, and then I've, I'm not a good at organized organizing. Like I'm just not an organized. And when it comes to my house, like I want it to be organized, but I can't do it. So I have help on home organizing too. And so all those things taken together, like I think make it possible. Yeah, absolutely. Having a housekeeper, that is a big deal. I started to have a housekeeper in like 2014, I think. Oh man, that really saves so much of my time that I can spend, you know, relaxing or cooking. Like I love to cook. I don't so much like to clean up. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. And plus they do a better job than you would do totally. because they're like, professionals. Yeah. So anybody I would highly recommend, you know, just getting a person to take care of your house and that'll free up so much of your time to concentrate on, you know, being an entrepreneur or a mother, you know, all of that stuff is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is the hardest part about being an entrepreneur? I think um, the pressure, the pressure, especially in the like first couple years, I mean, we're only in year three, but like the pressure of fundraising to start, I think is, it's just crushing. Like knowing that you have a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on your success at convincing other people that what you're doing is smart and makes sense and will make them money one day. Um, and the amount of rejection that comes along with fundraising, um, is tough. And I, you know, entrepreneurs are delusionally optimistic and I knew that there had been failures in the floral industry in the past, but I thought surely these investors will see that I have experience that those founders didn't have. And I have insights that they don't have. And my business model looks a lot like the only business model in this industry to scale and and do more than a billion dollars of revenue a year. So surely they'll see it's different. But no, venture capitalists are not independent thinkers in general. Yeah. And they when they see a pattern, they stick with it. And my business is not a B2B SaaS company. It's not, well, I guess that was cool when I started. Now it's AI. Um, Last year, two years ago, it would have been crypto, <laughs> but we've yes. never been like an in vogue, sexy company. Um, and the nuances of why our business model is different 
it doesn't matter to them. So Mm -hmm. I think I thought that just logic and reason would prevail with VCs, but um, that's not what happened. (laughs) And so I have, um, I have the backing of a really great firm in North Carolina who has been an incredible partner to me. And then the rest of the capital has come from large angel groups and strategics who do understand the problem I'm solving and who can see the strategic value of my business to theirs. Um, And so I would say, yeah, the pressure of fundraising, the rejection involved, that's probably the hardest part. Yeah, I think um, rejection, that is definitely something that I'm struggling with right now. Um, And it makes you want to rethink everything you're doing you know, and that's when you really have to just dig deep and keep moving forward. Not to quote, you know, Walt Disney, that's a famous quote of his. Um, But yeah, like, it's, it's just really hard to to hear no over and over. And I think that it um, really causes a lot of imposter syndrome, honestly. Yeah, Yeah. it definitely Um, does. I remember when I was very, very first fundraising. Um, like I just would go into these downward spirals mentally and like, it would be like, this is so stupid. I'm so stupid. This is never going to work. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, this is so dumb. And my husband would always say like, no, it's not. No, you're not. It's going to work. Just keep going. And that is what got me through. And that, and like thinking, telling myself, Cameron, it's never going to be as hard as it is now. This is the hardest fundraise that you'll have to do. The next one's going to be a little bit easier. And always that has been true. Like, I'm like, damn, I never have to do that one again. Like that one is over. Um, So I think like thinking about how future me is going to feel, that kind of got me through a lot of it. Yes. Future you. You always like, um, (laughs) we kind of like uh, touched on this earlier, but the whole feeling of this isn't happening fast enough, right? Like, why am I not ahead more? Think about where you were years ago. That person would want to be where you are now, you know, you have to think about that. Um, Be asking me for advice, like, where do I start? And I do get asked for advice now from other founders who are, you know, two or three years behind. And part of me, like, I want, I give them as much tactical advice as I can, but there's some stuff that I'm like, you're just going to have to figure it out. Like I, it doesn't, I, nothing I can say will help you. (laughs) Like, you know, like there's some stuff you just have to learn the hard way. It was true for me, for sure. Like people try to give you advice based on their experience and patterns they've seen, but there's some things you just have to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Exactly. Because advice comes from a specific person that has had a specific experience, which is why I always tell Anybody that asks me for for advice, I'm like, this is what I experienced. It might be different for you, especially men. Men come to me and ask. I'm like, it's going to be so much easier for you. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's just, um, you know, I think that we are kind of um, impatient because life isn't eternal. It's, It's finite. So you try to achieve everything when you're young enough, I guess. Um, but it's, it takes time, patience, perseverance, and tenacity. 
And everything takes twice as long as you think. People would tell me that. And I was like, maybe you're just not doing it right. No, they were right. I was wrong. Like, even if you have it so clear in your head, what needs to be done? It takes so long. It really does. And it can be frustrating. Um, And again, like it can cause you to feel like, you know, you aren't enough personally, or like you personally are, are causing problems that, you know, hurt your um, business overall. Um, eh, Sometimes that may be true, but like, like you said, um, entrepreneurs are eternal optimists. Yes. Yeah. That is definitely the one quality that is the same across everybody that I've talked to. We um, see the future as something to um command or yeah what is the word I never yeah. of it as optimism I always thought of it as like I can see what needs to happen so that's yeah. what's gonna happen not like it's not like optimistic like I hope everything turns out well it's like no, no like, it here's will what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I am so much the same and sometimes I wonder how I keep thinking this way after failing so many times, but you really learn a lot from failure. And so I never shy away from any opportunity where I could possibly fail. That's pretty much everything in life. You can always fail. Yeah. So get out of your comfort zone and just do what you love. And I think that success will come Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the way Mm -hmm. I look at entrepreneurship is like, I truly think entrepreneurship is the best way to truly like wring the most out of life. Like the highest highs, the lowest lows, feelings you just can't get from any other endeavor you can get from entrepreneurship. And you only get to live life once. Like don't waste it. Don't do something you don't want to do every day. Like that sounds like torture. That sounds like prison, which is what having a job job is to me. It just feels too um, claustrophobic, right? Like I I can't, you know, wake up at 10 a.m. if I want or whatever. It's not flexible. Yeah. Um, We have kind of touched on this already, but like what advice would you have for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur and like how to um, just kind of start. I really think I got a great education by being in another venture back startup. Yeah. Like that was such a unique opportunity to be a part of a business, help build a business that's scaling rapidly, um, see all the ways it can go wrong and mistakes that I would want to avoid. Um, and also, learn, you know, how it's done and how things can go well. So I would say like more than an MBA, if you can work at a company that is growing the way that you are going to want to grow your business, try to get some experience starting on the ground floor. Um, I think that made a huge difference for me. And then um, align yourself with investors whose values match yours Mm -hmm and who believe in you um, and who you want to 
work with for a long time. Um, if you take that path, I think I, that is one thing I think I've done really right and not for lack of trying to get it wrong. Like I have almost accepted money or have pursued investors that would have been the exact wrong fit for me. Um, and it's hard when you're a founder and you're ambitious and hungry and you want to track down every rabbit that you can and figure out, you know, who, who's going to invest in you. And I was willing to make compromises that thank the Lord somehow I was saved from making. And when I hear stories from other entrepreneur friends of mine or other founders who weren't quite so lucky, I realize like what a, what a good cap table I have and, and a great board that I have. So I think that's, be very careful about who you invite in because investors need us as much as we need them. That is true. Yeah. And I've worked at two startups that crashed and burned and like, you know, I wasn't paid what I was owed and all of that stuff. And that definitely came down to two things, the wrong investors that is what I observed the most and also very poor management yeah. of collecting invoices even. That was one of the problems at a company I worked at. They would like forget to bill the clients or whatever. Like, That's important. What are, you, what are you even doing? Do you want to... <laughs> Do you want to make money yeah. or, or do you want to give away services for free? You know, like, yeah, you got to track the money. It's like basic blocking yeah. and tackling of running a business. It's not sexy, but it has to be done. No, it's not. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, this is always the saddest part of every episode, the end. But before I let you go, can you tell people where to, uh, connect online with you and promote everything yeah. that you do. So we're on Instagram at poppyflowersco, C-O. Our website is poppyflowers.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Cameron Hardesty. Um, and that's it. <laughs> no worries. I will have links to all of that in the description slash show notes. And Cameron, I appreciate everything today. I I got good advice. So I'm I'm sure the listeners did too. Thanks so much for having me, Shelly. This was really fun. If you want to support us, please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover and follow TRs in Tech on social media and use the hashtag MakeYourselfShine. Thanks for watching or listening and have a great day.